0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Mission Church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is John Lee. I serve Mission Church as Lee Pastor. I'm humbled and honored and excited to be with you this morning as we continue our current sermon series through Paul's beautiful letter to the Ephesians. And we've entitled this journey that we've been on together, God's Plan for God's People. And if you would, please grab a Bible open to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible, we do have some for you on the bookshelf. Right in the front, feel free to grab one at any point. Um, You will need a a Bible here at Mission Church. And so if you do not own one, we'd love to put one in your hand. A couple weeks ago, we discussed Paul's instruction to believers to, to stop living like those who don't know Jesus. And to begin living as those who do. Simple enough, but we are called to pursue a life that matches the righteousness and the purity of Christ And in this text this morning, Paul, he continues with his train of thought in further detail as he begins to tell us how we are to to live and, and walk as followers of Jesus. In fact, I've titled this morning's sermon, Walk This Way. Walk This Way. Now, if you're able to, I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1-14. through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave Himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not, be, not even be heard of among you as it is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks For know and recognize this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light." For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We ask, Lord, that You would help us to understand. Lord, You are far above us. Your ways are greater than our ways. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And we cannot understand You or Your Word apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Lord, that You would soften our hearts so we can have a greater understanding of You, a greater understanding of ourselves and our need for Christ. I pray, Lord, that You would stir our hearts, stir the our affections away from the things of the world, Lord, and that they would be set on Christ. Lord, would You equip us today to live a life as follower of You, that You would equip us to leave here this morning to, to live on mission as You called us to. And Lord, I pray that through Your kindness, You would lead us to repentance. And, rest, and, and Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that don't know You, that You would Lead them to repentance and faith. And ultimately, God, we want to glorify You. And so we ask, Lord, that You would be glorified. And we give You all the praise. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing, acceptable in Your sight. God, You are our rock and our Redeemer. We love You and we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> For better or for worse, one of the primary ways that we learn is through imitation. This is especially true of children. I remember watching with delight and amusement as my then two-and-a-half-year-old son observed me shaving my face one morning. He closely observed and watched every move that I made, and he began to grab the can of shaving cream and piled it high in his hand. and, And as he watched me, he began to apply the shaving cream all over his face He then took his finger and began to mimic every stroke that I made of the razor. And we both finished the job with a splash of aftershave, and he was proud, and I was proud. After all, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Ultimately, children, they learn how to act and and how to behave through observation and imitation. Children learn to push buttons and turn knobs and even scold the dog like their parents do. You see, it is through imitation that children learn to be respectful and caring and honest. And it's also through imitation that children learn to be disrespectful, uncaring and dishonest, as I said, for better or for worse. Now, in the same way, Christians, we learn to live holy and, and righteous lives as we intentionally pursue a life that, that loves and lives like Jesus. But let's be honest, we, we live in a time and a space. We live in a society and a culture that is best defined as dark and foolish, and loveless. We live in a city that provides a plethora of influences that are in direct opposition to the holy and righteous life that we have been called to live. So what do we do? How do we pursue a life of holiness when we're surrounded by an influence of of wickedness? How can we pursue a life of light in the midst of the darkness? And how can we imitate our loving and wise God in a dark and foolish world? Well, in our text today, we're going to see how we can do so. Because God has forgiven us. We can, we're going to see in our text that because God has forgiven us, and He has adopted us as His dearly loved children, we are able to avoid deception. We are empowered to imitate our Heavenly Father. In fact, Paul, he gives us two paths in our text this morning. Ultimately, in this chapter, there's three paths that he gives us there's a lot to be uh, discussed in this chapter, and so we're only going to look at the first two paths today. And, but those paths are, are to walk in love and to walk in light. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Underline or make note of this word, imitators. Imitators. This word speaks to someone who copies, someone who mimics specific characteristics of another person. And Paul says here, brothers and sisters, you are to copy, you are to mimic, you are to imitate God as his dearly loved child. Now you might be thinking, how did we become his children? Well, consider what we discussed a few months ago last year when we were in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul has given us already an answer to this question of how we were adopted as God's child. He says he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. You see, God has adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And friends, this is our fundamental status and identity as Christians. You see, we were once dead in our sin. We were once a child of God's wrath, but God in Christ has saved you from the wrath of God and has adopted you as his dearly loved son or daughter. You see, God, he made us his sons and he made us his daughters. He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts and gave us life. And he even enabled us to cry out, Galatians says, Abba, Father. Therefore, Paul says, when you grasp what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, when you understand that God has forgiven you and adopted you as His dearly loved child, it is only then that you will understand that we are called to etch the very likeness of God into our hearts and into our lives. But tell me, what does it mean to imitate God? For surely, there are attributes of God that we cannot fully imitate. We cannot create the world. We cannot be omnipresent and omniscient and all-powerful. So what are we to do? What is it that we are to imitate? Well, the first way we imitate God, Paul tells us, is to walk in love. Because God is love. Walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave Himself up for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, for us to be able to walk in love, we first have to understand how God loves because God loves completely different than our world loves. The love of the world can be defined as flippant. The love of the world can be defined as sensual and, and selfish. But God's love is undeserved. God's love is sacrificial. And the love of God is seen most clearly when we look at Jesus, for He is the ultimate imitator of the Father. Well, how did Jesus love? Consider the verse that we meditated on earlier this morning in Romans 5.8 that says that God proves His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, loving God. As Jesus loves, involves us giving ourselves away for the good of someone else. See, love is not merely sentimentalism. Love is not merely feeling sorry for someone, but love involves sacrifice. Love involves action. Christ loved us while we were not very lovable. (laughs) To love like Christ means we are to love those who are not particularly lovable. Consider 1 John 3.18. The apostle says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. But what does it look like to love others in action? What does it look like to love others in truth? Well, it includes forgiving others. It includes maybe giving to others financially or aiding those who are in need. It includes being faithful to share the gospel. Being patient with others. It includes loving those who annoy you. It means repenting of hatred and displaying love to those who are different from you. I mean, we could go down the list and spend a whole uh, several month series on what it looks like specifically, but let's be honest. This is difficult. You see, it sounds good for me to say, go and love others like Jesus loves. Amen. Good luck. But the reality is, every one of us have failed at this at one point or another. We have all failed to love God as we should. And we have all failed to love others as we have been called to. So what do we do? How can we grow in this area? Well, we have to look to Jesus. We have to meditate upon the Gospel. We have to look to the cross and we have to sit in the truth of what Jesus has done for us. We have to keep the Gospel at the forefront of everything that we do. At the forefront of our hearts and our minds. I'm reminded of what Paul proclaimed in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, in light of Christ's love for Him, Paul lived a life to the glory of God and for the good of others. And as we also spend time meditating on the fact... That Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect and sinless life. As we remember how Jesus died the death that you and I deserve as our substitute and then He rose from the grave. When you meditate and remember that Christ has saved you and the Holy Spirit of God has indwelled you as empowering you to love sacrificially, you will be compelled to love others just as your Savior has loved you. I pray that God would make us a people, Mission Church, that love others as Christ has loved us. Now, we're not just to walk in love, but we are to walk in light. We are to walk in light, and we're going to spend most of our time in this, in this uh, point here. We're to walk in light. This phrase "walk in light" speaks to the reality that as Christians, we should be living differently than the rest of the world. We should be living differently than those who, are, who don't know Christ. Differently than those who have not been adopted as God's dearly loved children. Non-Christians imitate the darkness of the world. And they walk in darkness. As followers of Jesus, we are in to imitate Jesus. And we are to walk in light, for Jesus is the light. Ephesians 5, verse 8-9. through 9. Let's bounce down and then we'll come back up to verse 3. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Paul is saying, remember. Remember who you once were. And he doesn't say that you were just in darkness, but he says, you were darkness. You were the definition of spiritual and moral decay. It not only invaded your life, but it defined your life. Remember what Paul said back in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He said that all of us at one time walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. However, Jesus saved you. And through the gospel, you have become the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, this is your new identity. See, Jesus Himself said that He is the light of the world. And, and if you are in Christ, then you too are the light of the world. Now, before we see what this means to be the light of the world, how, and how we are to walk in light, Paul first describes for us back in verse 3 what it, what it doesn't look like. He describes for us what it looks like to continue walking in darkness. And he even gives us a warning of what will happen if we choose to continue to walk along the dark path. Let's look at verse 3. You hanging with me? Doing okay? All right, verse 3. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as it is as is proper for saints. Make note of this word saints or underline it. This word means holy. It means set apart. It means called out. Paul here is pointing out to the fact that if you are in Christ, you have been called out. You have been set apart. You've been called out of the darkness and set apart. I'm reminded of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which says, "...but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." You have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And since you no longer belong to the world of darkness around you, you are to no longer indulge in the sins that belong to the darkness around you. Sins, as Paul lists here, as sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. These are specific sins that he Mentions here, look back at verse three and underline this word impurity. This word is a general term it 's a broad term he 's referring basically to anything and everything that is offensive to God but paul he see he could have left it at that, but he 's not satisfied here. so he begins to, to list specifically two sins of impurity. He, he, he further describes impurity by naming specific sins, starting with greed and sexual immorality now. It may seem like the sin of greed is out of place here, next to sexual immorality, but these two sins have the same root. These two sins come from the base the same points, the same, point, the same roots. They are simply different expressions of this, the same basic weakness of our fallen nature, which is an uncontrolled appetite, an uncontrolled appetite. You see, the sexually perverse. And the greedy person each desire to satisfy their appetite by taking what does not belong to them. And Paul says, these sins should not describe one who is walking with God. One who is a follower of Jesus. One who is a children of light. A child of light. Now, sexual immorality permeated the culture in Ephesus and in ancient Greece. And you would think that all these years later, we would have made some progress, some advancements, but we still face the same issues today. We face the same issues as Mission Church as the church faced in the first century. In fact, sexual immorality seems to make Paul's top ten list of sins in almost every letter he writes. How many do you remember David Letterman's top ten list? Well, number one would have been sexual immorality in every letter that Paul (laughs) writes. Sexual immorality. Consider... Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The word Paul uses throughout all these letters for sexual immorality is the Greek word porne. And this word is a broad term. It covers a lot of things. It includes any and every sexual sin. Now, to better understand this idea, We have to take a step back and consider the original intent for sex and for marriage. God in His wisdom and in His goodness, He created two distinct genders, male and female. God instituted the covenant of marriage, which is a publicly pledged, permanent, exclusive covenantal union of one biological man and one biological woman intended for a lifetime. And God gave mankind a very good gift. The gift of sex that is to be only between a man and wife. But the problem is that sin has caused mankind to distort these, very two, these two very good gifts. Both marriage and sex from their original intent. You see, sexuality is not a bad thing. In fact, sex is a part of God's very good creation for Mankind, but it, it has guardrails. It's intended for procreation as well as pleasure within God's defined boundaries of a husband and wife. See, God has clearly defined the boundaries for sexual intimacy. Therefore, sex outside of God's boundary, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, whether it's pornography or lusting after someone who is not your spouse, Scripture condemns. Now, this is completely countercultural. But as we follow Jesus, we are called to live a countercultural life. And we are to allow His grace to make us into new kinds of people who have sexual integrity and purity. Now, it's important to note that as a church, we should be a place for those who have fallen into sexual sin. A place where they could come and be restored. And if you're here this morning and you struggle in this area, listen to me. You cannot find healing and restoration apart from repentance and faith. And repentance first requires an acknowledgement of your sin and believing that you need a Savior. And then it involves you turning from your sin and experiencing the beautiful and wonderful grace of Jesus. Friend, God loves you. He is just and he is faithful, and he will forgive you and restore you. Turn to Him. Now Paul he continues to describe sins that are no longer to that we're to no longer indulge in. Look at verse four. In verse 4, he says, obscene and foolish talking, crude joking, they're not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Those walking in light, they are not going to use language that is shameful or disgraceful. And while there's nothing wrong with humor and laughter, we're not condemning that. Let's be honest though, humor can be used in a way that's abused and malicious and crude and vulgar. It's almost impossible to find a movie, a comedy that does not include obscene, foolish and crude joking. And friends, it makes sense because if the world is dark, that's, that's how the world is going to talk. That's how the world's going to live. This is a dark world, but we are no longer in darkness. Therefore, we are no longer to walk and talk as we once did. And Paul is helpful here because he just doesn't tell us what we are to stop doing. But he tells us in this verse what we are to replace that with. He says, instead of this dark language, he says, "...replace your crude, obscene, and foolish words with words of thankfulness." In other words, in place of corrupt speech, we are to be known for a people who are gracious, thankful... We're to have an attitude of gratitude. I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 that says, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mission Church, let's work to become a church that is overflowing with gracious hearts as we adopt a vocabulary of thanksgiving. For it is when thanksgiving overflows from our mouths that our hearts will be filled with gratitude. I love how one commentator said, he he said this Thanksgiving is an antidote for sin, for it is impossible to give thanks and sin at the same time. Now, before we look at what it looks like to walk in the light, Paul, he, he's aware of the seductive presence and appeal of sin. So he first gives us an incentive for obedience. He ultimately gives us a warning that we would be smart to listen to. He says in verse 5 through 7. For, now, for know and recognize this. Every sexual immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. Paul doesn't want to leave us with any doubts here. He's essentially saying, no holiness, no heaven. You see, if you have been truly born, been born again, that new birth is going to inevitably show itself in new life. Your new life as a follower of Jesus will be marked by new desires, new affections, new hopes, new loves, and you will begin to despise sin and despise that which is offensive to God. The sin you once lived, or you once loved, will become repulsive to you. This is part of the reason why Christ loved His church and gave Himself up for us so that He might sanctify us and and cleanse us and present us to the Father as glorious, having no spot, having no wrinkle or blemish, but as holy. Now, there are some who claim that following Jesus does not require you to live like Jesus. But Paul says don't let them trick you. Don't let them deceive you. This idea that the Christian life requires no effort, no determined resolve, well, that is in direct opposition to what God teaches us in His Word. I love how the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, says it. He says, you will not gain holiness by standing still. Nobody ever grew holy without consenting, desiring, and agonizing to be holy. Sin will grow without sowing, but holiness needs cultivation. Follow it. It will not run after you. You must pursue it with determination, with eagerness, with perseverance as a hunter pursues his prey. Brothers and sisters, it is important to note that without holiness, Paul says no one will see the Lord. And holiness is not a condition that a believer simply drifts into. You don't fall into holiness it doesn't simply happen. Rather, it involves effort. And the fruit of that effort is righteousness. Look at verse 9. The fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Righteousness, goodness, and truth, they're all a result of determined resolve to follow Christ, to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. Yes, it is true. It is true. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He enables us to live this life. But the process of becoming like Christ is not a passive process. Consider what Paul writes in Philippians chapter two. He says, "Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. what is absence? What does he say? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose." Understand. Just as it costs Jesus to love us, so. It will cost us to love Him and to live our lives in a way that is worthy of His costly love for us. But also realize that as you work out your salvation, find rest in the fact that God is the one working in you. And He will see what He started. He will ensure that He will see it through to completion. Author Jerry Bridges is helpful in his book about Pursuing holiness, he says, God does not require a perfect, sinless life to have fellowship with him. But he does require that we're serious about holiness, that we grieve over sin in our lives instead of justifying it, and that we earnestly pursue holiness as a way of life. So, what do we do? What does it look like to live in the light? What does it look like to pursue this life, to earnestly pursue holiness? We'll look back at verse 7 through 10. Paul, he's going to give us four instructions here, and we're going to work through these rather quickly. But these four instructions display how how we can display the fruit of light amidst the darkness in which we live. Verse 7 says this Therefore, do not become their partners. And so to walk in the light. Walk in the light by not joining those in darkness. Walk in the light by not joining those who are in darkness. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, Don't be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Friends, we have been called as followers of Jesus to be salt in our society. We are to love. We are to befriend and care for those who are not Christians. However, our mission is to share Jesus with them. And our mission to share Jesus with them does not involve us joining in and sinning with them. In fact, we are faced with, when we are faced with greed and sexual immorality and crude joking and corrupt speech, we are to run away from that. Truth is, we are not only to avoid darkness, but we are instructed to also expose the darkness and then expose the darkness in our the corrupt world in which we live bounce down to verse 11 through 14 see we're not only supposed to not join in as partners but he says don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness but instead we are to expose them for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret everything exposed by the light is made visible For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, walking in light does not simply mean avoiding contact with non-believers. It means that we are to live a holy life and as we do, we are to confront the darkness. This word "expose" carries with it this sense of correction, this sense of conviction. It's this idea that we expose the darkness. Those in the dark will see the full nature of their sin. And by God's grace, the prayer is that they would abandon their sin and respond to the light and therefore become light themselves and followers of Jesus. Now, the second way we are to walk in the light is we are to live out our identity in Christ. Walk in the light by living out your identity. Look back at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Friends, there is no text that exhibits the change that took place when Christ saved you as much as this one does. And notice the important distinction that Paul makes here. He says that Christians are not the light. Brothers and sisters, you are not the light. Rather, you are the light in the Lord. Meaning, that because you are in Christ, And Christ is the light, you are now light. And you are to walk as children of light. You are to pursue a life that loves Jesus, that lives like Jesus, and leads others to Jesus. We are to walk in the light by living out our identity as children of God. The third way is we walk in the light by doing all that is good, right, and true. All that is good, right, and true. Look at verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Friends, God is good. He's good. God is right. God is true. Therefore, we are to imitate God in His goodness. We are to imitate God and And we are to do that which is good. We are to do that which is right. And we are to be defined as people of truth. Now, the final way we are to walk in light is by pleasing the Lord. Walk in light by pleasing the Lord. Verse 10 says, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's be honest. No matter how hard you and I try, we're not going to please everyone. I don't know if you've figured this out yet. Um, That's just reality. It's the truth. And the truth is we need to stop trying to please everybody because it's not going to work. Instead, we should work to come back or we should come back to a fundamental question. Rather than working to try to please everyone, we should work from the question of will this please the Lord? Is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to do, is what I'm doing. Is this pleasing to the Lord? Friend, the truth is, walking in light, Paul says, is what's pleasing to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at myself and what I have to give to God, I'm not convinced that I can fully please Him. I'm not convinced that I have what it takes. When I look at my own weaknesses and my own brokenness and and how frail I am as a person, What do I have to offer the One who created all things? What do I have to give to God? What do I have to offer a holy and sovereign and powerful God? Can I please Him even in my weakness? Can I please Him even in my frailty and my brokenness? And this question reminds me of a story about a set of grandparents who spent time watching their grandchild. During the day, their young boy's parents were going through a rough time and and their work schedule required uh, the young boy to be watched. And well, the grandparents were the only ones available for child care, and, and so they watched the boy. And this went on for several, several months, until well, the daughter and her husband ultimately got back on their feet, they had a job opening in California, causing them to move across the country away from their grandparents. Sometime later, the neighbors of the grandparents were vacationing in California and stumbled upon the mom and and the young boy in Walmart. And the grandson, the young boy, he was shy. But when he saw the neighbor, he fished in his pocket and finally pulled out um, a little mass of lint from his pocket. And the boy said to this neighbor, would you give this to my grandpa? The neighbor took the lint and kind of scoffed and thought that's kind of silly and discarded it. Before telling the grandfather back home about what he thought was a silly gift, and listen to how the grandfather responded, he said, "I wish you would not have thrown that away. I would have been so pleased to get it because it is all that he had to give me." Think about this: when that boy grows up and remembers how much his grandfather would have appreciated a gift as humble as a mass of lint, given from a heart of love, consider how much more this child would want to please his grandpa. In the same way, we know that our lowly offerings to God, the little thoughts, our words, our small acts of righteousness bring Him pleasure despite our inadequacies and our shame. We want to bring Him better gifts when we realize how much it pleases Him for us to pursue a life that lives like Jesus even in our weakness. Pleasing Him as a result of that understanding will become our passion And our highest motivation to live a life that imitates Him. Mission Church, listen, God loves you. He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He has replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He has begun a good work in you when He saved you. And His Holy Spirit is living in you and indwelling you and equipping you to pursue a life that matches Christ. And He will see to it that that work that He began in you will be complete. And He is empowering you to live a life that is defined by love and defined by light. And so my challenge this morning to us as a church is that we would commit to living and walking in light and in love. Would you join me in that? Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word and Your instruction. And we thank You, Lord, that this life that You've called us to live is not a requirement of salvation. (laughs) But rather, it is a fruit of what You've done in us and saving us. We thank You that You're not leaving it to ourselves to figure this out, but You have given us Your Word and the empowering work of Your Spirit in us, and so we, we trust You. We thank You, Lord, for Your grace and Your mercy that You extravagantly pour out in our lives. We thank You, Lord, that You are just and faithful to forgive us of our sin. And Lord, I pray that You would continually remind us of that grace and mercy that You've given to us as we go about our week this week and be intentional to live a life that loves You and lives like You and leads others to You. We thank You for Your kindness to show us these areas in our lives to lead us to repentance. And we thank You, Lord, that Your sacrifice on the cross covers every sin and when our emotions tell us that we are not worthy, that we are not a part, that we are not deserving to be Your child, Lord, that we can combat that with the truth of Your Word, that You love us, and that our sins are forgiven, and that You empower us to live this life. Lord, we pray that You would be glorified by our lives and by this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.